Welcome back to another episode of the Max Term Podcast. Kyle Stitch here alongside James Finch. And today we're going to have, I think, an interesting episode for you. We're going to talk about analytics. Usually we focus on hockey. We'll see if this, we'll see if in the course of this, the disc uh, kind of things go a little bit towards other sports as well. We're not going to sh- maybe shy away from, but probably a little bit more hockey centric. We'll kind of see how the conversation goes. Um, so usually I kind of say, oh, we don't have inside any inside information that we share or anything like that. This episode, full disclosure. Um, so I have my master's degree from Columbia university. My master's title is sport management with a concentration analytics. I'm not a programmer, but I can write. I've taught myself plenty of code, but I, my background is not computer science. James has spent some time with the uh, Rochester Americans collecting a level of data for them as they had a look to build out their analytics department. I teach um, some college classes at uh, St. John Fisher University in sport analytics. Um, I have lots of friends in the industry. I kind of keep up with, with how things run. And, oh, by the way, I've consulted with hockey agents doing some analytic work. So I'm not going to reveal like specifics of the consulting work I've done, but everything else we're going to kind of lay out for you, um, how we see analytics, where we see where it's come from, kind of where we see it going, how it fits into the general realm of sports, and even just maybe dispel some misconceptions. Like analytics is either you love, seem to love it or hate it. You don't seem to be in the middle. And I think a lot of people really should be in the middle. Like there's uses and there's maybe times that we either put too much emphasis or blame or whatever on, on analytics. So any, uh, any thoughts or questions on this episode, feel free to hit us up on Twitter at AFP analytics. Ironically, uh, you can also find our personal handles there. We appreciate you uh, subscribing, listening to this podcast on whatever platform you might uh, consume your podcast on. And any ads or anything you hear associated with this podcast are not necessarily products that James and I are working with or endorsing. And so, already introed our backgrounds a little bit. So, let's just talk about, we're both believers in the use of analytics. But let's kind of lay out, and I'll let you kind of start, how we would ideally view them in sports. Yeah, so I, I think the idea of analytics isn't just numbers. Um, the numbers are statistics. They've always been there. I guess some new ones are, I guess, created, but they've always been there. The idea of analytics is, okay, well, what do those statistics mean? Now, it, to kind of touch on an aspect you mentioned um, because analytics are very new, it's somewhat of a, or the use of analytics is very new. It's somewhat of a polarizing topic, per se, in sports. Um, teams that are very analytically focused, that perform very well, a lot of their fans, followers, love the idea of analytics. The teams that seem to be using it a lot, and they're not really performing well. Fans and followers really despise analytics.
I think the big thing, which is my opinion, and we've talked about this before, I, I don't want to necessarily speak for you, but you pretty much hold the same opinion. Analytics should be used in tandem with what everyone always calls the eye test. So um, the old school scout, um, the old school players who know everything about the game, they've played it, they know how it is, a stat can't tell them otherwise. A stat is not really meant to tell them otherwise. It's what aren't we seeing? What are we seeing that maybe the numbers can give us a little bit better um, perspective or a little more clarity to make a possibly a, a large financial decision? Or maybe it's the difference of does this player make the uh, top league, major league roster, or does he need another year? Um, I think analytics is meant to be a tool in sports, but not the only tool. Yeah, um, I think a lot of that is pretty much spot on. Good, good points. I think one. I think where I want to start right now is the idea of saying analytics aren't telling you something. They're using numbers they're building a picture like if you look up the dictionary.com definition of analytics statistics and numbers does not appear in that definition it's using all the information available to you to make an informed decision so scouts in theory have been doing analytics all along because they're using all their knowledge they're talking to people they're bringing all this picture together it's just they're maybe not using numbers but they still are going to bring in some level of numbers because they're going to talk about the goals, the assists, plus minus. That's analytics, in theory. But analytics are not actually telling you anything. I think I, I think it was Seth Partnow at um, an RIT Sport Analytic Conference that I was at that said something along these lines, and I don't remember the quote exactly, but you're the one saying it. You're the one interpreting it. Analytics are what you're interpreting. So, so saying the analytics say this, no, your interpretation of the numbers are what is saying that. So you can, I, I think one of the joking things about statistics, but also very true, is you can get statistics to say, whatever you want them to say. You can paint whatever picture you want. So if you want to paint a good picture of a player, you can find number statistics that support that picture. If you want to paint a poor picture of the player, chances are you're going to find some level of numbers that can support that picture. So to me, the idea of analytics is, yes, you want any organization that's successful right now in professional sports, at least from a team performance standpoint, is using analytics. They have an analytics department built out. They probably have built it out over years, whether publicly known or not. But I will say all successful teams are using analytics, and a lot of the teams that you see trailing behind are not using analytics. Um, I think in hockey, 
I one of the best resources out there um, is Shayna Goldman on Twitter. She publishes occasionally, and, a re, and recently uh, an update just came out. She publishes the list of all people that have that at least she can find or has been told do some level of analytics for the team. So that that there's some very diverse, varying degrees of roles. But I don't think it's a coincidence that the Arizona Coyotes for many years had a very small, if any, analytic department. The Ottawa Senators still only have like two official people. The Buffalo Sabres for a long time before they kind of fully dove in and hired Sam Ventura, Jason Carmanos, um, Matt Barlow, and Dom Jemeni. Sorry if I butchered your last name there. They had one person. The Oilers had one or two people here and there again before McDavid. There's a trend here. A lot of the teams I just mentioned have been the perennial teams at the bottom of the league. And a lot of the teams that have been playoffs pushing more towards the cup are the teams that have had people established for a while. So trying to argue that the use is, is irrelevant, it's not a good idea to use them, I think you are tr- pushing against basically facts. Yeah, I think this kind of goes back to that it's a tool and it can be used as a competitive advantage. If you are not doing it, you're at a disadvantage. It doesn't have to be the only thing you're using. But it's now something that can provide value to really any decision made um, in a front office. So I think that's a really kind of fascinating point to kind of dive a little bit more in. So hockey, football, basketball, baseball, lesser so, but hockey and football have what are called hard salary caps. You can't spend over a certain dollar amount on players. Where there is no salary cap is spending on coaches and your front office personnel. So if you're a team whose owner has deep pockets, one way to leverage that is to build out a robust front office. So have lots of scouts, have lots of analysts, have people crunching data, collecting data, doing performance analysis, development staff. Like if if you're a team that wants to flex your financial might, you can't always do it by paying players, but you can do it by paying personnel. And oh, by the way, paying personnel is a lot cheaper than paying one player. Yeah, I I think it's a way of... It's not necessarily a um, way around a certain rule or anything. It's all, all teams have the ability to have as many of these different staff members as they want. But I think this is going to be a common theme that we keep saying throughout this episode is the more you can use it, the better positioned 
you're going to put your team, the more um, of an advantage you have over a team that decides to not really use analytics, to not hire um, data engineers, scientists, um, just really anyone more analytically focused. Um, I think it's a really important thing. So we, you mentioned there's teams that are regularly top teams. Um, one of the uh, regimes that kind of just ended sort of, that was one of the big uh, analytics uh, organizations as far as how many people they had was the Toronto Maple Leafs under Kyle Dubas. Um, I think they were one of the first teams to really have a large, extensive um, list of staffers. Um, I remember just in the AHL, the amount of people that would show up to the AHL games from the Toronto organization, taking stats, keeping track of everything. They really dove into it and made sure that, okay, this is a process that's available to us. So let's use it to its, uh, I'll say, fullest potential. I think that kind of varies because I don't think one team necessarily has the right formula, but they were really trying to take advantage of analytics. Yeah, I mean, Toronto's easy to kind of kick and make fun of with them only reaching the second round once, kind of in the last six, seven years. But also, they've been in the playoffs all those years. Like, that's that's an accomplishment. Um, so clearly, they were doing some things right. Playoff hockey is... There's, I mean, the better team wins more times than not, but playoff hockey is still a little bit weird, a little bit different where there are different elements that, that maybe that you can build a really good regular season team and just not perform as well in the playoffs. And we see this in baseball as well. I mean, one of the first stories of analytics and sports, famous movie, famous book, Moneyball, um, where the Oakland A's were one of the first teams to dive into using a level of analytics and just like the Maple Leafs, they really never made a deep run in the playoffs. That doesn't mean that they were failures necessarily. Um, it just means maybe they were missing an element or maybe, uh, you know, just some luck went, went against them as well. But, yeah, um, Toronto, yeah, as you said, one of the biggest staffs. I think I think we've kind of danced around and may, maybe now we probably should hit on it is how would we ideally build out so we're we're running an organization how do we build out really our our kind of front office player personnel staffing so we have our GM he's he's going to be making the decisions a lot of teams in hockey sometimes like to have a president of hockey ops, but really that's just a glorified GM or just a figurehead, one of the two. I I personally don't see a need for one. I, I would tend to agree with you. Um, it, I think, is really, like you said, a glorified title. I mean, we're, we're seeing right now um, 
to use Kyle Dubas as an example again. He's president, but he's also the GM. He was under Brendan Shanahan in Toronto previously, and it's not to say Shanahan didn't help make decisions, but it was really Dubas doing the everyday work of a GM and maybe needed approval, but they're more of a glorified uh, role. So, yeah, I don't think it's really needed. So you have your, your general manager, your GM. They're, they're the ones who's ultimately calling the shots. Underneath them, you generally have some assistance associates. To me, the ideal scenario is to have at least two individuals one that kind of works with the analytic side of your organization, one that works with the scouting side, maybe you have three, one that works with like kind of the pro scouts, the game to game kind of prep scouting, then another that oversees the amateur that kind of runs your draft. To me, that's ideal is you have your, your head GM, maybe two to three assistants underneath him. Um, your scouting department can be built out. You you have your pro scouts. Again, they're, they're looking at what pro players, generally NHL, AHL, I guess should say majors, minors, that might be of interest to our organization. And they're also generally doing some level of pre-scouting. And then you have your amateur scouts who are scouting everyone who is potentially eligible to be drafted. And really both of those aspects should be leaning as well on an analytics department, an analytics arm of your organization to make themselves, to basically make their own operations run more efficiency, efficiently. And I think that's really where the analytic department comes into play. So in the analytics department, I probably have someone overseeing kind of the analyst staff and we'll get to kind of who the analyst staff um, is going to be comprised of in my ideal scenario. But I think either the assistant GM or this kind of director of analytics needs to have a particular skill set where their job is to take the complex information that the analytics department is coming up with and be able to act as basically a translator between the statistics side and what that means from a hockey or sport performance standpoint. And, and, we'll, and we'll get into that more further. I think that's kind of where this conversation will naturally lead but if you're building out an analytics department, you need, obviously, analysts who have a background in statistics and computer science, generally. You need people who are going to build models, so um, making regressions using machine learning techniques to build out models to glean the most information from your data. But I think where the sport world is moving um, is there is now so much data that's being collected. Like there's literally 
hundreds of data points collected in a second or less now that you need people to basically maintain your database, go through all your data, make sure it's of good quality, make sure it's usable for other people. So basically you need software engineers, database architects, database engineers, whatever you wanna, whatever title you wanna give those individuals. But those are generally the people who have the background in computer science. And I think one of the trends that we're seeing on, again, this, uh, the graphic that Shana Goldman's put out is more and more teams are adding those type of individuals. For years now, we have seen most teams having one or two analysts whose job is to probably do some level of modeling, create different elements that can try to explain or give their team an edge in one aspect or another, but almost every team now is, is building out people to basically maintain their databases, to have the information as usable as possible. And recently this summer, the past couple weeks, there's been more and more job postings for teams looking for those type of individuals in the NHL. So to me, that's the ideal department. You don't, it doesn't have to be massive, but you probably want a couple people doing the statistics, building models, stuff like that. And you want a couple of people kind of making sure the data is in a usable, clean format. But I think the most important person is someone that can act as like the translator or liaison between the rest of the hockey department and the analytics department. How to take their requests and kind of communicate, hey, let's accomplish it this way. What about this model? And then take the results of what the analytics department has found and communicate it back without using regression, R-squared, uh, random forest clustering, unsupervised machine learning. A, a person who works in, who, who kind of has been in the sports side, the scouting side of things their entire life, that, that's just going over their head. And I think that's where the disconnect comes in sports. As you see all these terms being thrown around that sound real technical, real science-y, real mathematics, real statistic-y, whatever, but they could be saying something very simple. And to me, the most important aspect is communicating it in that simple manner. Yeah, and I think um, kind of a unplanned little shout out here, a podcast you were actually featured on talking about taxes. Um, expected by whom? It's a good name for a podcast that is kind of focusing on more so analytics. A big thing for the hockey world these days, at least, is there's a lot of expected stats, and those are not necessarily um, extremely easy to understand, at least as far as they aren't a basic stat. So you, you might have your goals, which are pretty basic counting stats. They've been doing that for a while. And now there's expected goals, and all of a sudden, you, you do kind of ask, well, what do you mean expected? Like, who, how are we deciding what is an expected goal? Who's figuring this out? And, um, it, that goes to a main point that you just made of there needs to be someone to kind of decipher what all of these stats.
stats and the different analytical terms that are being thrown around now, there needs to be someone to decipher what those actually mean um, for those who aren't as statistically uh, focused and maybe have just been watching hockey prospects for 30 years. They don't necessarily understand the high-level terms. And it's just break this down, help it make sense to me. That person, if he's not there, able to do that, there's kind of a disconnect within the organization. Yeah. Um, if, if I was ever at this point in my kind of life, in my career, to go to a hockey team, I would be envisioning myself, if I was going to work in a front office, I'd be envisioning myself in that type of role. As, as one of the like assistants or director of analytics acting as the liaison, the translator. I'm, I'm not good enough in, at building models or doing the data engineering at this point. Like, I, I know enough, but not, not enough that a lot of the individuals that I've kind of met, interacted with, um, that are working in organizations are able to do. But I do, I do understand how those models are built. So expected goals. I'll uh, break down the I'll break down the statistics behind it real quick, but then I'll also tell you what it means in very simple terms. So, an expected goals model is built using a lo generally a logistic regression where your outcome is going to be a zero or a one, for, so that forces every single kind of when you um, plug data into the into your whatever model you've created, forces it to be anywhere from zero to one which is also what probabilities are, 0% to 100%. So an expected goal model is, is building a logistic regression, taking whatever factors are available to kind of the user. And this is where I think there's a level of, well, public data versus private data. Can get into that in a little while. Um, but you take your inputs, whatever you might have available. It could involve anything from shot location, shot speed, was a did a pass lead up to a goal is like a binary variable, but all these things are that I'm saying. Did it re, was it immediately after a rebound? All these things that I just said, logistic regression stuff like that. If if you never done st like statistical analysis in your life or just done kind of some very base level stuff, you might never have you have created a logistic regression model. All the expected goals is doing is telling you how how much, how good, how quality of a shot was just taken. The higher the number, it can't exceed one. The higher the number, the better the shot, the more likely it is to result in a goal. That's what expected goals is telling us. It's it's basically measuring shot quality. That That's the type of, to me, that's the type of discussion and discourse that, that should be presented in tandem with the kind of hardcore modeling terms because people want to know that people who have background that want to check that to make sure that that checks out. But a lot of people just want, well, what's this mean? Yeah, I think so ex expected goals. It's pretty much the likelihood that X shot goes in. Um, as far as the public data versus private data. I'll let you get into this a little bit, but this, I, I think it really is important to highlight that 
not so what the Toronto Maple Leafs are using isn't necessarily what's available for us to look at but it's also not necessarily what the Montreal Canadiens are looking at data can be manipulated looked at differently what one team has as expected goals might not be what the other team has as expected goals. Yes, I think that I think this is a tough like. Okay, I've I've seen some private data. Um, I'm not going to reveal from who or where, but I've I've seen a little bit of uh, private data. Um, so I think the big so the NHL has implemented some tracking technology. Um, so everything's being captured, but I also know that a lot of teams are still subscribing to SportLogic, which which was probably one of the first like tracking companies um, in, in hockey, and so so teams a lot of teams are using what's provided to them by SportLogic, who is tracking and collecting data um, for them. I, I can't speak to exactly how what SportLogic's collection process is. Um, I have an idea, but I, I don't know well enough, so I'm not going to kind of speculate here. Um, so, But SportLogic works with a good portion of the teams. We can... so. Real quickly, kind of moving, we really don't talk about other sports, but real quickly, touching on the NFL, if you watch Sunday Night Football, you see pro football focus rankings um, uh, every day on those graphics. In football, a lot of teams get their data from PFF, pro football focus. A lot of teams, also, if they don't get it from there, they get it from Sport Info Solutions which also works with a lot of baseball teams. So the point of teams have access to different data is 100% true. It's generally, though, being provided by a couple big companies across sports. And what they do with it is up to them. Um, but I think one of the, the interesting things that was that I, I was told when, this, when the new kind of tracking technology, tracking data was set to be implemented in the NHL. Finally, I think we have a season under our belts of it, maybe two. I don't I don't remember exactly when it went into place. Is there's a lot of data that's going to be collected and has been collected that is unusable, absolute garbage, isn't going to tell you anything. And not every team is going to figure that out. And that's where the having good analysts come into play. Yeah, I think um, so. A big part of being able to understand data is hiring the right people. Having, and it's not always even the right people. It's also the amount of people that they have. We touched on that. Um, I, I do want to kind of toss out there, and I think it sort of fits. Is some leagues, so the leagues themselves have started to employ people that are kind of there to assist teams and help teams. So um, that long list that Shana Goldman has been keeping track of 
Um, also includes NHL employees that have been at least publicly announced. And there's a bunch of different developers, stats analysts, research analysts. Um, so I, I didn't want to throw that out. As it, it kind of ties in, I think, with the tracking data is there is help from the leagues. So what extent, how helpful they really are, I don't know. But it's a newer aspect now that the use of data has been grown. Yeah, I think, I really think it all comes down to, are you, I mean, one of the old, like, modeling computer science sayings, machine learning, I should, probably should say there, machine learning kind of sayings is garbage in equals garbage out which means the quality of data you're putting in is going to directly impact the quality of analysis you're basically performing. So if you don't have the right, the people in place to perform this analysis, you don't have the right databases set up to pull the correct data, make sure the data is basically complete clean and just there, um, you, you can have all these standard league-issued things, but if you don't know how to use it, it's really not doing you any good whatsoever. Um, and I think that's really the what where teams are, can separate themselves to an extent. So yes, they, they are getting similar data, but it's really... Are they using it correctly? And I think we should also right here, like we, we you kind of asked and I kind of moved away from it. What's publicly available to us and how good is that data and what can we use it for? Um, so I think there's, so there's some great websites. Um, Evolving Hockey, tremendous like, Everything you want to find, some of the, the functionality of that website, their website is absolutely phenomenal. Um, like if, if I'm going to look for data, I'm going to Evolving Hockey or Natural Stat Trick. Those are my, my go-to data sources because what I want is there. It's easily accessible. It's easily downloadable. It's in a user-friendly format. So those two websites, I think, are absolutely, like, they're, they're both of our go-to if we're looking to kind of download data. But just like we talked about even the, like, teams having different interpretation, different numbers, um, both now Evolving Hockey and Natural Stat Trick have an expected goals number. Those numbers are different because they have different models that have created those. Um, I, think, I think if you're a baseball follower at all, uh, war is a is a kind of a number that's been around for a very long time. Fangraphs.com and BaseballReference.com have very different numbers because they are for war because they arrive there differently. So so you wanna so again both evolving hockey natural stat trick very easy to use. But you also want to be mindful of whatever you or whatever we're trying to do being consistent because, again, data data that's not, I guess, in its purest form. So purest form would be goals. 
There's no debate who scored the goal because it's directly what the NHL said, said happened. It's being pulled directly from there. But there's a lot of other things that, that you might take, that you might, if you're downloading data, think about, but also take for granted. So five on five is a pretty straight thing. It's, it's when there's five players on the ice for both teams. But a lot of times you might also say, oh, I want to do score adjusted. I don't want to see, I don't want, you know, if a team's up by three goals, up by four goals, they play differently. So I want to try and eliminate that aspect of, of the statistics when I'm doing my own analysis. A score adjustment is a model. And sites are going to basically adjust those differently. Again, evolving hockey's adjusted numbers versus natural stat tricks could, I believe, in most situations are going to be just a little bit different. So, so those, those are kind of an overview. So how can we use those? How do we use those? I think it's one of the important questions to kind of hit on here. Yeah, so I mean, our kind of most recent example of using public data is our contract projections. Um, so I mean, a lot of our data is coming from natural statric. Um, and we essentially use certain stats that we've identified as best portraying performance. Um, and it's not necessarily the same as what other companies would say best um, best predicts performance or provides in um, a description of how well a player played in the past. Um, because there is that different interpretation of what is important, we may take different data points our projections for contracts aren't going to be the same as other companies' projections, so Evolving Hockey has projections. Sometimes we're similar with certain players, sometimes we're not. We probably think some different things are important. Um, at the same time, so this past offseason, we see our projections and Evolving Hockey projections being used by TSN. Well, TSN also factored in their own interpretation of everything um, so it, it's that's a prime example of the same data is out there for everyone but how we use it or how team X uses it is going to be different from team Y or company Z yeah and so one of the important I think things to note like again evolving hockey and natural stat trick it's it's invaluable to for me and I think a lot of other like public fanalists, if you will, um, people who just who want to learn more about the sport. And I don't want to make this sound like a negative, but it is a little bit of a negative. Is they're pulling what the NHL provides, which is so the NHL charts or basically charts where shots are taking place, where goals are taking place on an ice and basically like a grid uh, XY format. So every every shot that's taken has coordinates um, 
going back to, you know, your high school algebra, your high school graphing classes that are X comma Y. Um, and so that exists for shots, goals, basically any event that takes place at hits, giveaways, missed shots, etc. Um, so Evolving Hockey, they've done a really good, interesting job of using and manipulating these stats in some really kind of forward-thinking ways. But again, they're at kind of the mercy of what is provided by the league's kind of track own game-to-game tracking. To me, one of the forefronts of where, of where, well, I guess I won't say forefronts, where the public sphere is going to lack is kind of being able to dive into individual player isolated performance to an extent. I know Evolving Hockey has tried to do this. I know Micah Blake McCurdy who's in effect of math on Twitter, has has tried to isolate performances. Until, and this is strictly my opinion, until we have, you know, player micro-level statistics, basically put things that players are doing individually to impact the game, because hockey depends on not only your teammates, but also your opposition, making isolated statistics using what's kind of tracked by the NHL is a little, I think, I think there's elements missing. So one, one kind of resource, one person who has tried to push this forward is Corey Schneider. Um, And he's tracking things like zone entry, zone exits, um, passing, kind of who's setting up shots. So instead of just, you know, assists on goals, he's also uh, tracking shot assists. So every shot that's taken, he's he's tracking. And I think this is getting a little bit more to the individual impact a player may have. And so I think if you're looking at what's available publicly, you can get a picture of kind of quality of player and be, I'm not going to say right or in the wheelhouse for every player, but I think there's a picture to be painted. But I think really trying to figure out overall impact and maybe even where they best fit is still in place that we're not fully at, at least in a public sphere. Yeah, I think as far as, I I think privately from a data aspect, they're much further down the line than it is publicly. Um, I I think until there is stronger tracking data, really player-specific, individualized data, really what, what you mean and what we mean is player specific being able to follow that player around exactly tendencies decision making until there is really specific data there it's going to be hard to definitively say player x is very good at this will fit in perfectly here xyz 
so I, I even think that I think this is also where we I think we can come a little bit full circle here with with a little eye test in that hockey especially is a unique it's a more unique sport um, in that there are 10 skaters, two goalies on the ice that all have an impact on what's going on. And in every situation, I, I guess there there's every situation where the same play doing the exact same thing could result in a different outcome. So, for example, let's say you're you're trying to move the puck up ice from your defensive zone. Sometimes the best play is to make the stretch pass up up ice. But sometimes that stretch pass up ice gets intercepted on a guy with momentum who then comes in and basically blows by the defensemen who are skating the opposite direction for a kind of breakaway and scores. Exact same play could be made. One maybe results in a goal for you, a breakaway in your favor. The other results in a goal against. So you could, every factor, every statistic that you measure of that pass, of that, of things, could be the exact same. The player could, you could measure the speed of the pass with the angle of the pass to the distance. All could be the exact same. But because where other players are on the ice, and then whether the goalie makes the save or not, is all impacting the result of that one little play. So maybe in that situation, the smarter play is to hold up, maybe throw it back around the net and kind of reset your breakout. So it, I, I think, think hockey is a sport where it's really hard to kind of quantify everything. I think other sports you can do it with. Baseball, I, I always say baseball can be broken down into simple one-on-one -on -one interactions. Pitcher, hitter, hitter, fielder, fielder, runner. Basketball, um, there's a level of impact on the other players, but it can be broken down in isolation. You can kind of, moving the ball to different areas on the court increases your chance of scoring. Again, may maybe there's some elements there that I'm saying glossing over too simply, simply. Football um, is, I think, a little like hockey, but I also think if you do the same things right time and time again, quarterback throws to the receiver who runs the same route, the quarterback throws the ball the same way, again, not always going to be the same result, but a little bit of a kind of trend, I guess. I don't know, hockey to me, is is kind of a unique a unique sport where as much data as we can collect i think there's still going to be something missing absolutely and I, I think with how you were kind of just talking about analytics kind of across all of those sports we've been kind of tying it back to how do you evaluate a certain player and that could be very helpful for a front office trying to decide what players to add on the team, maybe what players don't fit. Another use of analytics could be for a coaching staff. 
So, like how you're talking about maybe the where a right winger is on the ice could change. Well, to use that same example, the stretch pass goes up ice, it gets intercepted. Maybe it's not a goal going back the other way. But if, let's say, the right winger on that team that intercepted it is still up towards his offensive zone, it becomes a little bit different. And we can see that on the ice, but it's not necessarily what is seen just in okay, a goal was or was not recorded. The value for a coaching staff is if they can then see these different situations, it could essentially help them build a game plan, certain plays, just the style of play that the team has. And there's NHL teams that are very well known for a more people like to say boring, but a, a strong defensive style. Analytics can fuel that. Certain things happen on the ice. Maybe they decide certain players are better in certain roles because of it. Other teams may be very offensively focused. Uh, Sabres are a good example of that. Certain players, it just fits that way. and I'm sure the analytics department kind of has an impact on the decision-making to be so offensive. Um, Dallas Stars are kind of known to be that defensive team. and I, I think it's important to acknowledge that analytics, while used by the front office to make decisions to evaluate players, it's not just a tool for the front office, it's a tool for the coaching staff. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, the, the, the coaching staff using, being able to effectively use analytics, I think is absolutely critical. Um, in-game adjustments, like, you can expect a team to play, you know, a certain way, but then we, you, you brought the Sabres as an example. They were a team that scored a lot of goals against certain teams and struggled mightily to even get one against a lot of other teams. And it really all came down to the, the kind of way they were being defended. Like they struggled with teams that were kind of clogging up the neutral zone, making it hard to enter the offensive zone. They were struggling to break that. And so where a good analytic kind of usage here would be is, hey, let's let's figure out other play similar players around the league that that our guys kind of mimic or can mimic and see how teams with those players kind of try to fight against this this clogging of the neutral zone except or something like that. And so to me something like that is basically so Statistics, you want as many as much sample size as possible. Analytics, using kind of analytics, using data, 
can allow you to build out a sample size. So now instead of, you know, we have, the Sabres have Dylan Cousins, for example, they can find five players like Dylan Cousins around the league and see how they kind of made, what, what moves they made, how they handled trying to break a certain style of defense on them. So now there's, okay, so this worked in these situations. Why don't we try this? Because we see that you can, you know, skate similarly, like your speed of skating is similar, your ability to change direction similar. Like we can, we can basically find a similar players and try and maybe mimic a game like that. So we, we've kind of hit on a lot of the important, where where analytics kind of where we think it is our interpretation where we would use it from an on ice standpoint from a front office standpoint and i think the question is where does it go where where does the kind of analytics where does the data driven decision making go in the future um and as i kind of started this episode i i work with i work with students at and college um who are who want to you know pursue careers in sports they can ask like okay what what area can i explore and one place that i think's starting to receive a little bit more attention but is still very untapped is i like to call it biomechanics and kind of just sport performance data so when I say biomechanics, to me, I'm talking, so we see that, let's, let's use baseball real quickly. We're talking everything from like arm angles of pitchers as they're coming through their entire motion. That's biomechanics. So if we're going to translate that to hockey, your skating stride, your, how you're winding up for a shot, your release point, um, kind of how you're even just torquing your body as you're coming through a shot, how you're lining up for a hit, how you're receiving a hit. All of those things are potentially very small tweaks that could actually have a major impact on maybe immediate performance, but more likely on the longevity of a career, especially when we're talking about things like you know, adjusting your skating stride just a little bit to maybe put a little less wear and tear on your hips or your knees, or your shooting motion a little bit to reduce some strain on a shoulder. But it also couldn't mean, hey, you, you uh, become more a more efficient shooter. Well, suddenly it's a lot harder for the goalie to read your shot, and now you're scoring more goals. So... Again, translating to baseball, launch angle has become a major kind of thing. There's really no reason hockey can't do the same thing with, with release angle. Um, so I think those those are some important things. And I think the other place, diet, nutrition, just health performance. Um, like, it, it, it's, it's a touchy subject because... There's also a level of like what's getting a little too personal. What what data is is a team collecting on a player that's starting to get a little too personal. But I think performance starting to capture record performance data 
could help reduce or prevent injuries like fatigue type injuries. So those soft tissue injuries, the hamstrings, the stuff like that. If you're kind of monitoring things and you start to see some little difference, it's it's easy. You can maybe pull the player and be proactive instead of reactive. Um, and then even things like just sleep and diet. Um, like the Red Sox many years ago at this point put sleep nap pods basically in their like locker room clubhouse area because they found that players taking naps perform better. Well, they went and won a, they went on a long playoff run very shortly thereafter. I don't think it's a pure coincidence. Diet, nutrition, everyone has different needs. Everyone's bodies process things differently. To me, that's the avenue that is wildly untapped. That if I was a team and I had money, I'd start to capture. I'd start to kind of try to be an, a trend setter there. And I think we have, again, we have seen teams do that. I think there's more to be done there. This is kind of just my mind wandering, kind of. But um, if, if you're able to establish really just the best way player X can take care of their body through sleep, through nutrition that can almost be a counter to aging. Like a, you have a general age curve in each sport and maybe you sign a player to a contract when he's 30, let's say a six year contract and you know it's in general going to go downhill as he ages. I feel like there is room to limit those negative impacts of aging just by being able to collect that type of data and make better decisions. So I, I absolutely agree. I think that would be really advantageous for teams to start to try and collect that data. I mean, earlier in this episode, kind of said tongue-in-cheek, it's a lot cheaper to pay, you know, an a team of analysts than it is to pay one player. Well, if you're already paying that player, choose the Toronto Maple Leafs maybe here. John Tavares is is definitely on the decline. Uh, he's still being paid his $11 million. Toronto's not moving off of that. No, like that, that they're stuck with that until that contract's over. So their goal needs to be to get the most out of John Tavares. Um, sure, he, he might never be truly worth that $11 million, but you want to get as much value as you possibly can. And that might be using analytics for his on-ice performance, but also working with him off-ice to try to put him in the best physical conditioning that he could possibly be. So I, I don't know if return on investment's the best the best term to use here, but it's kind of the route that you should be looking at kind of paying an analytics staff. Yeah, I think to continue that example, the other 
positive that could come of certain tracking. If, if you could identify what went wrong with John Tavares from a physical performance standpoint, let's say he's slowing down a little bit, do we believe there's a cause exactly? Like, can we identify in his stride that something changed slightly? Or maybe just something he was doing in the first place was putting a little too much strain on his knee or his hip. Once you identify that, I, I don't want to say it's too late to counter it. There's probably ways to help John Tavares extend his career. But now you know that that way he was skating or that way he was shooting the puck put a certain strain on his body, that's applicable to other players. So the Toronto Maple Leafs could, in theory, turn around and say, well, okay, let's look at Austin Matthews and make sure he isn't doing that same thing. In general, that's probably done already to an extent, but from a data perspective, it's not really there yet. I think that's kind of what you're getting at. Yeah, a hundred percent. And again, I want to circle back to kind of my preface here, though. We are also like butting up against some ethical, moral, like how much data collection is is fair when we're talking about someone's own body and their own and some of their own vitals, like stuff like that. And especially when we try to take, you know, make comparisons like, so Toronto has Tavares and Matthews in-house, so so there's there's a little, a little probably more leeway for them. But let's say they want to compare Matthews to Nathan McKinnon, for example. There is no way that they should be able to get certain health, information on another team's player. So sure you can you can probably like you can do motion capture and capture shape, skating stride, shot angles and stuff like that. Like that's anyone in theory can do that, watch the game and do that. But it's it's some of the other kind of information that where's that line? And and even on their own team it feels like there could be a level of issue there. Yeah, so it, it kind of makes me wonder, so there might be multiple different lines here, and I think one of the main ones would be what is private to the player and or team and what is public to for, for us to be able to look up online. In theory, if someone is making the safer ethical decision, I shouldn't say someone, I should say a team, if they're making the safest, ethically sound decision, it's possible certain things exist already, and we just don't really know about it because it's something that isn't really viewed as really being a public thing. 
maybe there's certain teams already kind of going down this path. And it's probably actually is the case. Um, but yeah, I, I think in general that it, it does bring up just what it, what is right, what is wrong for the world to know about a certain player who is ultimately a person. Yeah, and and even just so that's I mean that's applying it to a person. I think just kind of in general, um, just ethical use of data, like with the rise of kind of AI and everything, um, I like as as teams leagues really anything in life continues to push the reliance on data, the reliance on computers forward. There is there is a question as to what what's proper to use, what's not proper to use. Um, I mean, sport sport leagues are all about teams trying to create a very marginal advantage for themselves. Like years ago, the St. Louis Cardinals hacked another baseball team to get access to their data. That's not something that's, well, it's not legal. It's also an, it's definitely not ethical either. So, so just the use of data, how you're using it, how you're pushing it out, like that, that's, that's, there's lots of questions there, but I, I think that the, the idea, again, the idea that analytics is a dirty word or, or mean statistics, I think, I think that's, we need to somehow get away from making the two synonymous with each other. Analytics and statistics do not have to be synonymous. And I think that that there's always going to be pushback on, you know, reliance on data versus reliance on what you're watching. But ideally, you're using the data to more efficiently, effectively make decisions whether that's how you deploy your players, how you go about your scouting, how you go about your drafting, how you just go about making your decisions. A analytics, using statistics, using numbers, is just going to provide more information, better context, if used correctly. So I think, I think the big I think the big overarching thing is really just communication. Like, I say this kind of jokingly, but if sport analytics had better PR and marketing, everyone would be all over it because it's 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 making and it's just making informed decisions. But hockey's probably the worst at this, using things like Corsi, expected goals, Fenwick. That's, that's not to take away from the people who, you know, originally kind of pushed those statistics. But if hockey had been using shots like soccer uses shots, well, where a shot anywhere towards the goal is a shot, and then there's a shot on goal, a shot is coursey, and then shot on goal is a shot on goal. I think there's less pushback just to the use. If we use shot quality instead of expected goals there's maybe a little less pushback on the use. So it's as much of, you know, integrating them as it is just selling them and marketing them properly. Yeah, I, I think it kind of comes back to use this word earlier in this episode, interpretation. That That's 
essentially what analytics is. It's the interpretation, and that can be different depending on who you talk to. That's why some teams, some teams have good analytics departments, others don't, and it's statistics are fact. Something happened. The analytics is the interpretation of, okay, what does that mean? And I think that is the perfect kind of way to sum up this episode. Uh, if you have any thoughts, want to share your opinions, questions, um, our goal in the future is to also continue to maybe doing more dives into some of these numbers. Like we did a very, we hit on some of the statistics that are used. In hockey, but I, I think our goal is to provide a little bit more of explainers, a little bit more how they can be used back end, a little more specifics, if you will. Uh, so we appreciate if you're interested in kind of learning about those, following us on Twitter at AFP Analytics as we continue to be able to put out content, um, subscribing to this podcast, wherever you might be listening to it now or on your preferred podcast platform. Um, again, any questions, thoughts? things you'd like us to talk about in the future on analytics or statistics in hockey, even other sports, hit us up there. And uh, with that, we thank you for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.